Hey there guys, welcome back to another video. Glad you're here today. I was going through my audio questions last night, which is something I like to do when I'm feeling a little uninspired. Maybe I don't really have anything to talk about. So I have a question here from Kimberly Rogers. She actually sent it in like six months ago. So I realize that I'm not the most punctual when it comes to answering these things sometimes. Um, and sometimes, you know, I don't really have a good answer when I first listen to it. But sometimes I'll go back to the older questions that people have sent me and I all of a sudden feel a bit of a connection to that question. Um, so first of all, let's just take a listen. Hi Clay, my name is Kimberly. I was wondering if you would take the time to do a video about an INFJ going through a very traumatic breakup from a toxic person. I think it's hard to know how to handle the waves and the heart and mind divide um, and separating the love that has kind of overtaken you as an INFJ with a toxic person and how to, in a healthy way, allow the change to just be. So as far as being in a relationship with a toxic person, I feel like that's its, its own topic, a huge topic. Why do we end up in relationships with toxic people? Whether that's somebody who is maybe emotionally abusive, physically abusive, it could be narcissistic, it could be any other personality disorder that just makes a person treat you poorly. Or it could just be people that are just drastically different from you. Maybe it could be a diff different attachment style. Let's say you're with somebody who's super avoidant and yet you are the opposite of that and you need, you need more from them. Um, it could be really anything with the end goal that you don't feel good in the relationship. It's dragging you down. You may... It might be triggering some depression. Um, really, anything that makes you feel bad about yourself. And if you're in a relationship, it could be a romantic relationship, it could be friendship, it could be you know family. If you're in a relationship with somebody that is literally sucking the lifeblood out of you and turning you into a, a worse version of yourself, then you know you might want to look at whether you are in a bit of a tox toxic relationship. And that's not to say that we can't have our own problems, right, that are kind of dragging us down. And maybe this other person, maybe it's not all the other person, right? It rarely is. Let's say you're in a toxic relationship. You've figured that out, and now you're ending it. Maybe you're leaving a romantic relationship. Maybe you're trying to distance yourself from a toxic family member or a friend. So the first thing I want to say is to get to that point is actually a huge step. I mean, I would say to recognize it at all is hard. A lot of people have trouble with that. They, it's almost like they idealize their partners. And the problem with being in a toxic relationship in the first place is you're living in a state of cognitive dissonance. So on one hand, you love this person. You, you actually do. Um, even after you leave, you, you still might love them and care for them. And you know, there's going to be a massive amount of guilt because of that. Because, no, I love this person, but I'm leaving. So cognitive dissonance is when you're holding two contradicting ideas in your brain at the same time. 
So toxic relationships are a perfect example because on one hand, you're like, well, I love this person. This person loves me. I believe they're a good person. I believe that there's potential in this person. I mean, if you didn't believe any of that and you're still in a relationship, then maybe that's, you have slightly larger problems. Like if you've actually abandoned all hope, all hope that this person is good, that you actually love them, then it's probably your past due on leaving that relationship. But if you're like most people stuck in toxic relationships, there still is this element of love and hope and you want the best for this person, right? And you, you, if you're an empathetic person, which most of us are, I mean, everybody has some kind of empathy unless you're a, a narcissist or a psychopath. So cognitive dissonance, you've got kind of this on one side and then on the other, this person might be mistreating you in some way. They might be doing things that a person that loves you shouldn't be doing. You love a person, you don't do that stuff. Why are they doing it? Do they, you know, do they really love you? On one hand, you're like, no, 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 they love you. On the other hand, you're like, well, you're seeing things that kind of contradict that. And, and so that's what cognitive dissonance is. You're kind of living in this, this state of you're unsure. So in a toxic relationship, it might come out as almost a person who makes excuses for the other person, almost excusing their bad behavior for, because you know they love you. It's like, oh yeah, he hit me, but I know he loves me. I know, I know he's a good person. It, he was just drunk, right? And it, it's sort of like this explain away thing. And people outside the relationship are just seeing red flags. They're like, whoa, um, that guy gets drunk and gets violent. Um, why are you making excuses for him? Cognitive dissonance could also look like you blame yourself for their actions. And, you know, you're kind of confused about, well, am I a bad person? Am I the problem here? This person's abusive, but are they, you know, am I the, the problem? And so you end up in this sort of back and forth about trying to decide, you know, who's the bad one? What's wrong here? Um, anyway, cognitive dissonance in any form, there's a lot of it going on in our world. Um, but in relationships, I think it's especially painful, especially confusing. And if you're stuck in that, it's horrible. It's sort of like living in a bit of a fantasy world where you're justifying abuse, you're justifying bad behavior. When you leave, you start to see this clearer, right? And I, it's, it's a really difficult process as this begins to unwind. And I think that's why it's so hard to leave a toxic person. And even when you left, this goes on for a while. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, if you've left somebody like a week ago, a month ago, two months ago, like you, you've just begun the healing process. And it really might take months or even years, I know that sounds depressing, to really decouple from a lot of these things. And the, and the reason why is that you were living kind of in this fantasy where you're justifying certain behavior, you're, you're hoping for this person, you are trying to see the best in them. And then when you leave, you will naturally stop doing that. And what you will be left with is all the nonsense that you put up with. All the, all the bad stuff will be front and center. And, and, and you, know, you know, you see this from people. They broke up and they start remembering things like two, three years ago. Remember when he did that? And I, and I you know, let him get away with that or I justified it. Or, and now you start to see it for the actual toxic behavior. And I think the problem with this is that, I mean, 
I, I hesitate to talk too much about myself just because I don't really want it to get me in trouble, but there's certain things when I left my relationship where I just felt like an idiot. Like I was just like, why? Did, why did I not see that till now? What, how, why did I put up with that so long? So it's almost like you end up blaming yourself. You know, I feel stupid. Like, am I stupid? Like, why did I do that? And so there's a bit of shock, I think, as you start to realize the full extent of the toxicity and then depending on what kind of a relationship it is. Um, you know, if it's like a family relationship or a friendship, I feel like most people can quietly remove themselves from that without too much turmoil in their personal lives. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen, but romantic relationships especially, when you leave them, especially if you're married, you know, it's almost like your whole social life implodes as everybody is, first of all, they act all shocked. They're like, whoa, I had no idea you guys were having problems. I thought you were the perfect couple. I've heard that quite a few times from various people, right? From the outside, there's this perfect couple. They look great. Then they break up and everybody's like, whoa, I thought they were, I thought they were doing okay. And, and there's something about that that people really don't like. Quite often, especially in a toxic situation, if some, you know, the volcano erupts and there's like some bad fight going on between the two of you or some kind of, you know, fireworks going on. People feel the need to choose a side. So, you know, you might lose friends over this. I mean, you probably will. If you're married and you break up, you lose friends. It's just sort of the way it is. If you're in a solid, I mean, you don't even have to be married. You could just be in a, a solid, long-term relationship. And you might have a friend group and it's like, they don't really know how to deal with that. They, they, they feel the awkwardness now if, with both of you there. You know, and people just naturally will choose a side and decide who is the white knight here and who is the villain. It's kind of unfortunate that that has to happen. You know, the other, the other problem with toxic people is they're toxic. So they will start doing all kinds of stuff behind your back, smear campaigns. You know, they might lie, they might, might manipulate. You know, little white lies, they'll twist events and sort of try to make you seem like the bad person here. So you can have like your entire community like almost turn on you or distance themselves from you. So not only are you going through this decoupling process of getting out of this toxic thing, like you, you're basically, you're, you're intertwined with somebody in a relationship and then you're ripping that apart. I mean, that's hard enough. Then to also be dealing with all these social ramifications if you are dealing with that, I mean, that's just like icing on the cake and it, it's, you know, it can make it even more difficult, I guess is what I'm saying. So if you happen to be married and you have kids, I mean, now it's just like turn the dial of complication up even more because now you're going to have, if you're any kind of an empathetic person, you're going to have an extreme amount of guilt. You're going to be wondering, you know, like, is this bad for them for me to leave? Is it better for me to leave? You know, most people seem to think it's bad no matter what, for kids to break up a marriage. And I don't agree with that personally. I, if kids are growing up and they're looking at their parents and it's toxic and that is damaging to kids to, to learn what love is. You learn what love is from your parents. If your parents are a 
abusive or one is abusive to, you know, they have a toxic relationship, there's no love. You will learn as a child what a relationship looks like. So let's say you were in a toxic relationship. Guaranteed if you're in a toxic relationship and you've actually made the choice to leave it, you've been through a roller coaster of emotions at that point. If you were an INFJ personality, and I'm not saying other personalities couldn't feel this, it's just you mentioned INFJ in your question, you have likely exhausted yourself trying. That's typically one thing I've noticed about us INFJs is that we will try and try. I, I have another video on this that's the INFJ door slam. You can look into that if you want. But I noticed that INFJs will try harder than other people and try longer. And in that process, we have the ability to kind of take on more abuse. And, um, and then eventually one day we kind of figure it out and that's when that door slam happens and we can just like shut the door all at once. So I think part of the problem is if you're in a relationship with a toxic person, you might have formed trauma bonds. And I won't go too deep into a trauma bond um, I think it would be an interesting video, actually, all for itself. If you'd like to hear about trauma bonds, let me know in the comments, and maybe I'll do some more research on that to formulate my thoughts. But a trauma bond is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bond based on trauma. It's almost, you know, it, it's a big topic, but it seems like to me that people can almost get addicted to the roller coaster of emotions that are involved in certain relationships. Um, like, for example, narcissists, they do this thing called love bombing. So they love bomb and it's like, it feels great. It feels like everything's finally getting to the place you want. And then they pull back or some kind of abuse happens and it gets really bad and hard for a bit. And maybe you even leave and then they start to the love bomb again. And it's sort of this on off, on off thing. And they say that people can almost get addicted to the feeling of that. It's like the feeling of reconciliation. And then almost like the overthinking involved of trying to figure out what's wrong. It's like this desire to constantly get back to those good times. If, if you find yourself in that place where you're, you're always trying to get back to that person that you know is in there. I know they're in there. Um, we had those good times. I, I want to get that again. And then you might get tastes of it. And then, and then there's some kind of pullback and it's super toxic and horrible for a while. And then maybe the love bombing starts again. If you're in that situation, you might want to look into trauma bonds. So you finally left. And it's almost like your life at that point will probably feel a bit like a discarded battlefield. And it's going to take some time to repair all that. There's this guy, John Gottman, and he's got a lot of relationship stuff. Some people seem to really like him. Some I've heard other people that maybe don't like it. But it's interesting. He has this concept, you know, stability versus happiness. And he talks about how people will give up their happiness in exchange for stability. So let's say you're in a marriage with a raging narcissistic person. Yes, you might not be very happy. Yes, you might have a very bad relationship. Yes, you might be depressed. But you could be very stable. Let's say your finances are taken care of. Let's say this person has a good job. They're taking care of you. Or let's say you have a good job and you guys are both you know, pooling your money. You've, you've got this house. You, you know, financially secure. You're stable, I guess, is the point. 
from a from a business standpoint, maybe not emotionally, maybe not relationally, you're not stable, but life in general is stable. So if you actually uproot that and leave, that's like dropping a nuclear bomb on your life and your all your stability goes out the window. Especially if you're the one that has leaving somebody else. Like let's say you do have a house and you live together. Chances are if you're leaving the relationship, it's kind of like you you are leaving that place and they are staying behind. I mean it seems to be that most people that do the leaving actually do leave. So maybe now you got to find a new place to live and your finances are so intertwined with this person and there might be lawyers involved. And lawyers are horribly expensive. I've unfortunately had to experience that a few times now. Now I'd really recommend not using lawyers if you can help it. Mediators are better. But now you're in mediation and you're fighting over all these assets. And maybe, like I said, you're losing some of your social group. Maybe you've got all these, you know, this smear campaign on behind the, the, the scenes. And now certain people are kind of attacking you on that toxic person's behalf. Those, that's called flying monkeys, by the way. And narcissists will often employ flying monkeys to get their goals met. They will maybe, you know, drum up a bunch of support give some manipulative information and kind of send them out. And all of a sudden you've got these people attacking you. And it's like nothing you say seems to really work. So basically, let's say you were not happy in a relationship, but you were stable. You leave the relationship. Now you've just abolished that stability. Maybe you're living in a camper. That was me when I left my relationship. I literally moved into a camper for a little bit. I was still seeing my kids every day and I would go back and I would hang out with them. But I was sleeping and kind of eating and living in this camper for about two months until I kind of figured it out, got a place, you know, and now you don't, you don't have any furniture, um, you know, and it's like you slowly start to rebuild your life. And, you know, and then if you have kids involved with that process, I mean, that is extremely stressful, right? Because you want to create a place for them, at least I do. I want to create a place for them where they're comfortable. And, you know, they're also dealing with their own trauma. Like, what's going on here? Why, why are my parents, you know, splitting up? Why are they not living together anymore? Like, um, you know, is he leaving me? Is, is she leaving me? Like, is, is everything going to be okay? And so you're trying to reassure your kids that, everything's going to be okay and you're, you're trying to set up a, a secure, stable place for them. And slowly over time, you can rebuild that stability. And, but you still don't have that happiness, right? Because you're dealing with all of this stuff. And I think that the happiness builds back slowly long term. So maybe a little while later, I mean, maybe that's months, it could be years later, you start to feel better. You, you've come through that storm and you start to get that happiness and that peace back maybe that you were missing in that relationship. Um, and you're also stable. So now you've, you know, you had no happiness but you have stability. 
destroyed all the stability. Now you had neither, right? And you're actually, that's one of the problems when you leave a toxic relationship is now you've lost your stability. You're sitting there and you're going, is this actually better? This this seems worse. Now I'm unhappy and unstable. I've got every, everybody doesn't seem, you know, might, might have a bunch of people upset at me. You know, is this even better? And I think in that situation is when a lot of people go back. And then this whole pattern might happen a few times. They leave and eventually they, you know, the love bombing starts and they're like, oh, maybe this person's changed and they give them another chance and then they leave and then they get back together. And it's just this sort of, it's hard. It's, it's really difficult because you're vulnerable, I guess. That's what I'm saying. After you've left, you're extremely vulnerable. And it takes a very strong will and eyes on a goal to resist the love bombing. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is one of the hardest things, I think, that you can do as a human being. Because you're uprooting your whole life, you're losing your stability, but you're also, it, it's, you're trying to rewrite some bad patterns in your own life. Why were you attracted to that person? There's some kind of underlying things that you yourself are gonna need to work on to decouple from. So you've got all this growth to do. And that takes time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and you know, like somebody comes to me and they, they broke up like two weeks ago and they're like, how do I, you know, how do I get through this? And it's like, like you've just, you've just started. But step one is like, don't go back to that person right now. Figure yourself out. It's almost like you have to sit in that uncomfortableness, in that, in that bad place. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's like you have to sit in it and you have to endure it. And through that process, it's like you will gain wisdom. And then at the end of it all, after you've come out of it, could be a year later, could be two years, could be three years, you will be a much stronger, wiser person at the end of it. And you know, I mean, if I know what this is like. I've, I hesitate to talk about it, but I've been going through this exact thing for two and a half years. And I've had some awful times. After I went through this separation, I mean, I was close to suicidal. I was extremely depressed. I mean, I was depressed before. And slowly, you know, that's dissipated. And, you know, here we are coming into November. And traditionally, I was very scared of this time of year because this is the time where it starts to get really cold where I live and really dark. You know, it'll be dark by 3.30 p.m., and so it's just like the other thing about this valley I live in, it's really beautiful and sunny all summer and spring into the fall. And then winter comes and like the cloud sinks in. And it's like we might not see the sun for weeks sometimes. It's just like we're living in the cloud. And so um, SAD syndrome is a real problem around these parts, which is, I forget, it's, a, it's an acronym, SAD. It basically is a weather-induced depression. So that's why November traditionally, I, you know, it's a really hard time for me. And in the past, it really was. It, I would get 
it's like I felt like I had a dark cloud on my brain and it'd be really hard. And that's maybe the best way I could describe what that depression feels like to me. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a storm descends on my brain and I, it's, everything gets cloudy. I can't see through it. But what's interesting is after I, I think, got out of that unhealthy situation, I don't experience those seasonal depression symptoms like I used to. In fact, last winter, I was really quite surprised. I just rolled right through November without any, anything really at all. And sure, I have had some hard times here and there, but a lot of that is dealing with rebuilding my life in a way to get that stability back. But as I've done that, my mind feels clear. It's like the cognitive dissonance of it all is gone. I'm not living in that state anymore where I'm trying to justify something as good when it's clearly not. So I guess what I'm saying as a person who's sort of come out the other side of it now is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Going through that tunnel is very hard. And I'm not sure there's any way to make it easy. I think that, that's probably why I didn't make this video in the, in the first place, is I felt like I should have some kind of advice that helps. <laughs> the problem is, I don't know if there is. It's sort of like training for a marathon. Is there any way to get good or fast at running without just running a lot and suffering through the training? That's sort of what this is to me. It's like, it's training, it's suffering. It's like the good things come out of that. Um, strength, you know, letting go of what people think about you. Can you have self-worth when everybody else or a good portion of people might be upset with you for leaving this relationship? At first, that almost destroyed me. I was like a people pleaser to the max. That process taught me to decouple it. And it's, it's a really weird thing to think about now because it's almost a good thing that I went through it because I'm a better person because of it. But yet it was hard and horrible. So, you know, it's like, is that, am I, should I be happy I went through it? Made me stronger? And it's funny, it's like uh, Ryan Holiday's book, it's called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's basically based on Stoic principles, Stoicism. But the, the general premise is that if you have a massive obstacle in your life, quite often that can become the catalyst to whatever it is that you achieve in the end. So let's say you achieve something great or it puts you off into a different path and now something good happens. It's almost like you can trace that back to that obstacle. So it's, it's the obstacle that creates the good thing. It's a really interesting concept and something I always try to remember if I'm going through something really challenging. It's like the obstacle is the way. The obstacle is the way. Sometimes in order to get on that way, you got to endure something. So I hope some of that was intelligible and helpful to you guys. If you have an audio question of your own, feel free to click the link in the YouTube description below. So I love getting audio questions from people. Send me one. So thanks for listening, guys. 
hope you have a great day. Best of luck in your relationships. I really do wish you all the best. Okay.